Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Epistle to the Romans, chapter 6. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, God bless you, my brothers and sisters, and thank you for the opportunity to worship with you this morning. If you were with us last Sunday, you'll remember that I invited you and I'm issuing this invitation again that you would join me in reading through the 16 chapters of Paul's longest letter in the New Testament, the letter to the Romans. Now, it's not an easy book to read, but it'll be a profitable book to read. And I know that God will speak to you from this. Now, here's why I'm excited about Romans. In this letter, Paul explores the gospel, how the gospel creates a community of worshipers, Jews and Gentiles, who are now united in Jesus Christ. And, and for that reason, I want you to read it because it has direct application to the situations that we're facing in American society and in American culture. 
the place where unity between Jew and Gentile is most visible is in the kingdom of God, where God rules. And the visible expression of God's kingdom is seen in the church. But as you and I know, unity in the church can be a scarce commodity. But if you follow Paul's logic from last week and this week, you can understand why I say that. Because he says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, in the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And sometimes what happens in the church, and, I, and I'm telling you, if you read the, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, you'll understand why I say this. Sometimes in the church, we flip the statement, and instead of considering ourselves dead to sin, we find ourselves dead to the Spirit of God and alive to sin. And spiritually dead people and spiritually dead pastors end up spawning spiritually dead churches. But I'm so glad this morning that Paul has something to say about this. Going back to chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah because it's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. It's the power of God that makes it possible for Jew and Gentile to worship together in unity in worship to the Messiah. Without question, last Sunday's reading then was about what the Messiah did for us in freeing us from the dominion of sin. I think you could safely say that as you read chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It's what the Messiah Jesus did through his death and his resurrection to free us from the dominion of sin. So this week's reading calls for a response of obedience to God in light of what the Messiah has done for us. You know, I remember in the very first church that I ever pastored, I met a man who often said to me, Pastor, the greatest miracle, and he would say that with tears in his eyes, the greatest miracle in the world is a changed life. And when I heard this man's story, I understood why. So let's call him Bill, because this man is still very much a servant of God living in his community in the Fort Wayne area, Fort Wayne, Indiana area. But let's call him Bill. Bill had a lovely family. He had a great job. He was known and respected by his community. But over time, over time, he said that drugs and alcohol became his master. He was addicted. And to use the language of scripture, he was a doulos of sin. He was a slave of sin. He was a, a servant of sin. To use the language we would use today, he was an addict. He lost his job. He lost his health. His wife and his children left him. He lost his reputation. Bill ended up in jail. And he said that at the bottom of the well of his darkest days, he contemplated suicide. And it was through the prayers of that first church that I pastored and the prayers of his wife and so many other people, Bill one day got sick 
and tired of being controlled by this master of alcohol. And he came to know the Lord as Savior and God. And when I met him, he was a follower of Jesus, but he was still bearing the scars of his past life. One of the things that Bill did for me, and I'll never forget it, he took me to his AA meetings. And when I went to that meeting, this man was like a rock star. Everybody knew him. And over the course of time, he took me also with his wife to Al-Anon meetings. Bill wanted me to know, as a young pastor, that the people that I'm serving, he wanted me to know that all the people in the church that I was serving, they are already serving someone or something. What I'm about to say to you applies to all of us, not just to people who are addicts, in the way that I've described Bill. What I want to say to you this morning applies to all of us because we're all serving something or someone. We're all slaves to some kind of entrenched behavior. If you have ever wrestled with an addiction to anything, whether it's to alcohol or pornography or food or drugs or video games or anger, when you get addicted to something, my friends, it steals your voice. You're no longer in charge, but the thing is in charge of you. It has you in its grip. You want to be free, but you don't have the power to free yourself. And it was Bill who introduced me as a young pastor to AA and the 12 Steps program. And he told me that taking these 12 steps was the hardest thing he ever did in his life. Even though he came to Jesus, he still needed to be free in areas of his life. And he said that God used the 12-step program to bring him into even greater freedom. Step number one says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Step number two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity Step number three says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And of course, there are nine other steps that you can read about. And because of the miracle of God's grace in his life, Bill was given a platform as a sponsor, helping hundreds of men and their families to find hope. Long before Bill Wilson and his physician, Dr. Bob Smith, created this Alcoholics Anonymous program, I believe that God's Word already had its own program to set people free. God's Word already had the secret to freedom, and I want to share that with you this morning. God's steps to freedom. First of all, what I see in verses 12 through 13 is that just as the addicted person needs to acknowledge their powerlessness in the face of their addiction, verses 12 and 13 tells us that we must acknowledge the dominion that sin has over our lives. Let me just read those verses for you again, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion. And that word dominion means reign. Do not let sin reign or have control in your mortal bodies. And, and the reason why that's important, it's because our bodies are the gateway to many of the addictions with which we struggle. Paul continues, he says, no longer present 
Or some translations say, stop presenting your members, your body, the parts of your body to sin as, and the Greek word there means weapons or tools or instruments of wickedness. Instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members, the parts of your body to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments or weapons or tools, not of wickedness, but of righteousness. Now, remember this presentation of ourselves to God, and you'll hear me say this several times, this presentation of ourselves to God is only possible because of what our Messiah did for us through his death and his resurrection. And again, you could go back to Romans 6, 1 through 11, and you will see that any ability to present oneself to God, it's because of what Jesus did. Jesus sets us free. Christ sets us free. And our response out of love and gratitude to Jesus, our Messiah, is to give or present our bodies to God in total surrender. And as long as we live, as long as we consider ourselves to be alive to sin and dead to God, we're captive to the reign of sin. We're captive to the reign of sin. So we need to acknowledge that there is this power called sin that has dominion over us. And until we see Jesus and we look to Jesus, we're going to remain under the reign of sin. But there's a second step that's in AA that has resonance within Scripture that I want to show you because the second step says it asks the person to believe that a power greater than themselves can restore them to sanity. And what I see in the Scriptures this morning, what Paul is telling us, is that everyone is a slave or a servant to something or someone. Bill often quoted a line from Bob Dylan's great song, Gotta Serve Somebody. And I listened to that song again this week, and of course I was bopping to the rhythm of the song, where Bob Dylan says, you may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble, or you might like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody, Dylan says. Whether it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, you're going to have to serve somebody. And I see this being borne out in, chapter, in verse 15 of our reading. Paul asks this very provocative question, as he did in verse 1. If we are no longer under the law as a system of salvation... Are we under any obligation to it at all? Can we then just do whatever we choose since we're no longer under the law? And of course, Paul says, no. People ask me all the time, so do we still have to practice the Ten Commandments anymore? And Paul, I think, is beginning to address an extremely practical question. What now should be the Christian's motivation and understanding of obligation in daily living. And so when I met Bill, and over the course of our friendship, he one day dipped into his pocket and pulled out a coin, a sobriety coin. 
And he said, you know why I carry this, Pastor Ray? I carry this to remind me. And I think at that time he was well into over three years of his sobriety, maybe more than that. He was well into his sobriety. He said, I put that coin in my pocket every day because he says, I never, ever want to go back and live under the reign of alcohol. So Paul says in verse 16, be careful. Being a Christian doesn't mean we are free from having something or someone control our lives. Being a Christian doesn't mean I'm free to do whatever I want to do because in a sense, Paul is telling us, and I'll debate this to you all the way down to the mat, there's a sense in which Paul is saying no one is truly free. We're all obligated to something or someone. We've got to serve somebody. And so it's possible this morning that I'm speaking to someone who is either a slave to sin or a servant of God you cannot be neither. You cannot be both. You're either one or the other. Everyone is a slave to something or someone. Everyone is offering themselves to someone. Everyone lives for something. Everyone is offering themselves as a sacrifice on some altar. We're all serving some cause. We're all striving for some bottom line. And that something, that thing becomes a master and we become its slaves. Whatever controls us then become our Lord. It becomes our ruler. It's the thing we worship. The person who seeks power then is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance then becomes controlled by acceptance. And we, we, cannot, we cannot control ourselves in that sense. We're being told that we must be controlled by the Lord. We're going to be controlled by the thing or the person that we seek after. So notice in verse 17, and this is really important, that this power is not from inside of us, but it's from God who sets us free. So look at what Paul says in verse 17. But thanks to God that you, and he's speaking of the, the collective you, the whole church, thanks to God that you, having once been slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted and that you, having been set free from sin, here's the language now, you've become slaves of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, it's the power of God. It's the power of God's word that sets us free. And so you're no longer a slave to sin, but now you are a servant, a slave of God. This power that I'm referring to, Martin Luther called it alien grace. And I like that term, by the way. He calls it alien grace or alien righteousness. He says it's the righteousness of another instilled from without. Think about that. Think of that image we had last week of falling into a well. What got you out of that well was alien grace. The help came not from within you, it came from somebody else. This is grace that comes to sinners from outside of themselves, Luther says. This is the power of God for salvation. So you're serving someone, and it's the power of God that frees you to serve the true and living God. Here's the third step in AA. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And I think what Paul says in the rest of our reading then resonates with that third step. Paul says in verse 20, 
when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, you had no obligations to live a righteous life before God. You had no obligation to please God when you were a slave to sin. But look at verse 21. So what advantage did you get then, did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? And boy, when I read that, I paused. I looked back on my life and I said, well, you know, for a moment there, there were some things that felt so great. There were some things that were so wonderful. But now when I look back in its totality, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. What advantage did you then get from the things of, from which you're now ashamed? And he's right. When you are living as a slave of sin, you tend to live with, with pain and with shame and with secrecy and with deception. And we even think the deeper we go into our slavery to sin, we say, well, there's no way God could ever love me. And of course, that's a lie. That's a lie. The end of those things that we're ashamed of, Paul says, it leads to death. Verse 22 says, but now that we have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, that's what it says in verse 22, the advantage you get now is sanctification. And that's a big word. That's a wonderful word. The end of eternal life, the goal of eternal life is sanctification. Martin Luther explains the difference between redemption through Christ and sanctification. Therefore, this is in his sermon, through the first righteousness arises the, the voice of the bridegroom. That's what we read when you and I were reading Romans 6, 1 through 11. We were hearing the voice of the bridegroom who was saying to, to the soul, I am yours. That's what Jesus is saying to you. I am yours. But notice what he says. Through the, through the second comes the voice of the bride. That's the church. That's you and me who answers, I am yours. And then he says, the marriage is complete. And that's just a beautiful way to look at the difference between redemption. The voice of God in redeeming us says, Ray, you're mine. I'm yours. And when I was awakened to the knowledge of my salvation, I found in my heart this, this yearning now to say to God, God, I'm yours. And the marriage is complete. That's sanctification. That's the process of change where every day we're saying, I'm not what I used to be. I now belong to God, body, soul, and spirit. I give myself to you. I give myself to you. And over and over, every day you wake up, you're saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. You're the bridegroom. I'm the bride. Lord, I'm yours. And I give myself to you. Change me, mold me, make me to become, to truly become yours. That is sanctification. That's the process. And that's why we struggle with sin, because we're being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Now, what's the alternative, though? If, if, I, if everything I've said to you doesn't convince you, what's the alternative? And Paul gives us the alternative. It's in verse 23, chapter 6, verse 23, the very last verse. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Sin pays. Sin has never, ever stiffed anyone on the wages. Sin pays every day. 
every week, every moment, every year. The economy of sin will never be bankrupt. The wages is death. And some people have been handsomely paid by their sin. But there's an alternative. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. These are our alternatives. You and I can stay under the management and the control of sin and, and you know, we can enjoy sin for a season. But the payment there is death. And when it talks about death in the Bible, when God told Adam, the day you eat of the tree that you're going to die, the Lord wasn't just speaking of physical death. The Bible talks of two kinds of death. There is physical and there is spiritual death, and both are pretty deadly. I want you to live and not die. Jesus came that you might have life. Jesus said of the devil that what the devil comes to do, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and to have it more abundantly. And that's why Jesus offered up himself for you and for me. And so the best option is to make the decision, as people do in AA, to turn your life over to the will of God. Come under the, the, the new management of the Messiah and the payment that you receive when you, 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 when you do that, if we can say the payment, is the free gift of eternal life through Jesus our Messiah. Somebody said, and, and I, heard, I heard my friend Bill mention this on many occasions, that one of the first steps to getting out of a hole is to stop digging. Stop digging. And I don't know where you are. You know, I talked about my friend Bill who has an alcoholic problem. A lot of you on this call, on this screen, you're watching this message, you may say, well, Pastor, I don't have that problem. But you have a problem. And if you want to get out of the problem that you're experiencing right now, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in some uh, issue with anger, some kind of addiction, I, I think of a lot of men that I know who struggle with pornography. My, my friend said the first step in getting out of a hole is to stop digging. Stop trying to fix your life. Stop trying to save yourself. Jesus loves to lift people out of holes. He wants to break the rain and the stranglehold of sin over your life. Scripture says there are only two ways to live. Only two ways. As John Stott likes to say, there are only two slaveries. It's either sin or it's God. Slavery to sin or slavery to God. And I pray that you will hear the voice of the Savior calling you to a new kind of freedom, a new kind of servitude as a servant of the living God. I pray today that you will do that. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. I've been a Christian for well over 30 plus years of my life. And I still wake up in the morning and I say, God, I'm yours. Change me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I re-up every day. I recommit my life to Jesus every day. It's not a one and done. And I invite you this morning to do the same right where you are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the name of Jesus be praised forever.